Amen. Church, as you remain standing, as the band continues to play, I'd like to ask you to open your Bible, find your scriptures, your mobile device, and make your way to Acts, Acts chapter 13. We're going to dive right into this message straight from the offering and from this worship time as we continue our series called Foundations with Acts 13, 20 to 22. If you don't have the scriptures with you, these words will be up on the screen for you. Here's the word of God. All of this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king. And he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Church, I want you to touch three people around you nearby, and I want you to say, I want to seek after God's heart. Touch three people. Say, I want to seek after God's heart. Find them. Get them. Get them. And you may be seated. I want to join with our worship team in just welcoming you to this service. My name is Jeff Hughes, and I serve as the Connections Pastor here, and I'm so excited that you are here for this service this weekend. Today's message and this time is going to be a bit unique. You will see that if you look in your bulletin that you were handed on the way in, that Pastor Glenn was scheduled to preach this message. Unfortunately, as of Friday, his dad is not doing well in Texas. His dad is in a coma and is is not doing well. And so uh, we prayed together on Friday and made the decision as a team to send Glenn uh, to Texas to support his mom and his family members and be with them and to celebrate a life well lived with with his dad. Family is important, isn't it? Uh, Family first. That's our motto here. Uh, so unfortunately, you're stuck with me this morning, but uh, we, we're excited about this. I did have a few minutes to visit with Pastor Glenn and say, hey, um, what were you thinking for this weekend? What was it looking like, how the flow of everything? And so uh, I'm excited to uh, join together with the preparation that's already been done uh, and even greater, the preparation that God will do just moments before the words come out of my mouth. So if you will, let's bow for a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here and to stand on this stage to declare the word of God. I pray that I uh, would speak clearly and that what you want said will be said. Uh, We also pray for the Griner family, that you would bless Glenn, his dad, and his mom and their family members right now as they gather in Texas. So meet with them. um, Provide your presence and your comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. As mentioned, we're going to conclude this series called Foundations with a message titled, A Man After God's Own Heart. We're going to be looking at the life of David, and David, as you know, is one of the central figures in the Bible. There are actually 65 or so chapters of the Bible that are devoted uh, to David where we see his life pop up. His name is used over 1,100 times in over 950 verses, so got, got some credentials there. His name is all over the place. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, we see a very interesting thing happen. Because Samuel is rebuking Saul. Saul's the king, and Samuel's rebuking him with these words. And you can almost hear and see a little finger wag going on, right? You got this, this rebuke and the finger wag with 1 Samuel 13, 14. Here it is. But now your kingdom will not endure. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, 
and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Can you see that? Can you see Samuel to Saul a little gutsy? Uh Uh-uh, no. The Lord is seeking a man after his own heart and you're, you're not it. I can feel the weight of that. And this phrase has always caught my attention. I mean, for one, I, I want to be described as a man after God's own heart, a, a person who would seek God, who would be close to God and know him. And this is God's description of David. In other words, David had the heartbeat of God. He had the very heartbeat of God, and he sought after God's desires. His life lined up with what God wanted the most from him and for him, his passion. The core of who he was was directed by God. Now, David was far, far from perfect, and we're going to get into some of that this morning. Um, Some of you are wondering, isn't this the guy that, yeah, it was him. Just hold on. There's something about his life that set him apart, the way he lived. And it begs the question, how do we develop a heart after God? How do we be described as people after God's own heart? That's all something that we would want. And I believe the answers to these questions are the most critical component to our connection with God. As we'll see from David's life, the direction of his heart took precedent over everything else in his life. His fears, his failures, his doubts, his sins, his hang-ups. So how do we develop a heart after God? You'll notice these on the notes in your bulletins, so go ahead and make your way there if you're not there. The first thing, and there's a fill-in-the-blank here, for God to be your greatest passion, you must train yourself to worship. Train yourself to worship. You see, you and I must think differently about the way we see worship. Worship is way more than what we just did here together. We stood, we sang some songs, there was a band on the stage, but were they performing for us? Were we performing for them? Or were we collectively all performing for an audience of one, our God and our Father? Worship is an interesting thing. It's way more than singing. It's so much bigger than worship. Sure, singing is definitely a dynamic part of worship. And and worship goes so much deeper than that as well. In fact, it goes to the place of, of what we think about, of how we live our life every day. Not just what happens here in this place but what goes on seven days a week. What you're truly interested in, your passions, the things that you think about, those should be worship. Are they? What we know is God was the center of David's life. David thought about God all the time. We see in Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, these words. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. I love that. It's not only in the morning that you hear my voice, Lord, but it's, it's I wait expectantly. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us here this morning are expecting for God to do something. You're expecting for a new job. You're expecting for a promotion. You're expecting for a healing. You're expecting for a restored relationship. You're expecting in some way something from God. Psalm 63, 6, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Worship was an all-day deal for David. He walked with God. Now, let me just speak into your life and tell you something about yourself that you may or may not know. You were created to worship. And you will worship something. 
How many of us caught a college football game yesterday? Yeah, come on. That's worship. You look in the stands, you see people painted faces, hands in the air, they're cheering for their team. You may worship your college football team, you may worship the car in the garage, you may worship the new set of golf clubs in the trunk. I can't tell you what you'll worship. What I can say is you were made and created to worship, and you will worship something. So it begs the question, will you haphazardly just worship something that seems best in the moment? Or are you going to pour out your heart to the one who can truly meet your needs, God our Father? What I know about worship is it's not automatic for every Christian. You don't give your life to Christ and decide to be a believer in Jesus and follow God's teachings and just immediately connect with worship. It's difficult sometimes. I want to challenge you to to see that that worship is something you grow into, that that you need to be patient and, and realize that sometimes it takes a moment and it takes a season to do something that can feel unnatural. It takes practice, and I'm not talking about hitting the right notes. I'm not talking about even playing the right chords if you play an instrument. I'm talking about practicing the presence of God. I'm talking about experiencing a connection with our Savior, something so much bigger than a moment where we stand and sing for just a few minutes and then sit down and move life as it was before. You are practicing and encountering God in a personal way through song, which is a unique way to express our devotion to God and also give and receive love from Him. About two years ago, I went through a particularly challenging season in my life. And many of you are fully aware of this, and so I won't go into much detail, but I do want to hit a highlight. I had to undergo four eye surgeries in a matter of six months. Wasn't sure what was going to happen with this. I was away from my responsibilities here at the church for three months, and I had to lay very, very still for a very, very long time. To keep my sanity, I would grab my phone, plug in my headphones, laying face down, and listen to my Pandora worship station. Well, I came across a song, It Is Well. You know the old hymn, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul. Well, it was a remake from Bethel Worship, and and I love this. And, And Bethel Worship was just singing this song. It's got some new choruses, some new words, but essentially it's It Is Well With My Soul. And there were many hours that I just listened to this song on repeat over and over. In fact, even some days went by on repeat. Now, church, before you think that I'm so pious and holy that I would lay face down before the Lord in worship for a matter of days, weeks, and months, you need to know the whole story so I don't get struck by lightning standing on this stage here this morning. There were many hours in the beginning where I resisted the fact that it is well with my soul. In fact, I would even curse my situation and go as far as cursing God and being mad that I was put in this situation. But as I let that song, It Is Well, soak over me, I gradually moved to a place where I began to listen to the words. And a change happened not in my situation, not in my circumstance, not in what was going on outside, but what was going on inside in me. And I moved to a place where I could gradually begin to hear the words and not be bitter. And then I moved to a place where I could gradually actually say and sing the words. 
It is, it is well. It's well. Eventually, I moved to a place where, in spite of a situation that I did not want to be in, I could actually say and sing and believe, it is well with my soul. My condition is this, but it is well with my soul. Peace like a river tendeth my way. Sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, not initially. Perhaps you're in a situation like that here this morning. A place where you can't worship, you can't sing, because your situation and your circumstance has you so caught up in you and what's right before you. Here's what I learned, and perhaps it'll be helpful to us this morning. If we can take the focus off of us, off of our situation, off of our worship style, off of the particular song or chorus, and make singing, whether corporately or alone in our car driving down McGalliard, more about blessing God, whether if we're in tune or out of tune, whether if it's our favorite tune or not. Gradually, over time, we will be able to see beyond ourselves, And as we bless God, we will connect with him in a meaningful way. But so many times we get hung up in either our situation, our circumstance, or the particular song that the band is singing, that we miss out on something great that is so much bigger than us. Because it's not about us. Whether if it's standing and singing corporately or living a life of worship in the office, don't miss out on an amazing way to connect with God in worship. You know, something I've realized is it's pretty impossible for me to drive down the road singing a worship song and when I get cut off in traffic, uh, flip somebody the bird. It's pretty tough. My hands just won't go from singing praise songs to the middle finger very easily. Maybe yours don't either. As we're worshiping, it changes our attitude. It changes our perspective with our boss in the office. It, it changes things with our coworker that just gets on our nerves. It changes the thoughts that we have. It changes us. It focuses my mind. You know, it does these things because worship makes God bigger and it makes me smaller. And how right and true is that? But how often do we flip it around? We want to make us big. We want to make our situation the thing that really is the biggest thing in the world. When really, God, our creator, has this all put together and he's got a plan. Well, here's the second critical thing to help you develop a heart after God. To be the person God wants you to be, you must grow through your mistakes. Grow through your mistakes. Some of you in this room this morning have already checked out. And here's why. You hear me say, become a person after God's own heart. And you say, well, I'm off that list. <laughs> Not a chance that I would make that. You say, there's no way. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I'm involved in right now. I'm not good enough. You're convinced that your failures will disqualify you from what God alone can do. Because of that, you shut down yourself to the work of God in your life. Well, let's go back to looking at David. David, one of the central figures of the Bible, again mentioned throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
And David's failures are absolutely shocking. And yet God calls him a man after God's own heart. Remember in 1 Samuel 13, 14, uh, Saul is disobedient and so God replaces him with David. So here's something critical. If you're a spreadsheet person and you were to make a spreadsheet, you were to make a list on one side of all of Saul's sins and failures. And then on the other side, make a list of all of David's sins and failures. And that's all you looked at. David would be far worse than Saul, the king that was removed from power. So let's look at some of those things in David's life. Thou shalt not steal. Well, David stole a lot of stuff. Animals, money, possessions. He even stole the holy bread that was dedicated to God in the tabernacle. Thou shalt not lie. How about that one? David lied a lot. In order to steal this holy bread from the temple, David had to make up this story. He had to lie to the high priest Ahimelech. He was running from Saul for his life. So he sneaks in. He tells the high priest Ahimelech that he's on a secret mission for King Saul and that his men were going to meet in a secret place and that they needed bread. So he took the holy bread. (laughs) Then he told Ahimelech that he had to leave so fast that he didn't have time to grab a sword and he needed one. Lie after lie. How about thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife or house? You knew we'd get here. David was guilty of that one too. In fact, one day when he should be at war, he was alone in the temple palace. Looked out the palace window, he sees Bathsheba bathing in the tub. Decides he has to have her. She becomes pregnant and David tries to cover it up. He calls Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, home from war and says, all right, he's going to spend the night with his wife and that's going to be the cover-up. Well, that brings us to thou shalt not murder because Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was too loyal to his men to enjoy the company of his wife while his, his men were on the battle lines. And so he didn't come home. And so David, his cover-up was completely ruined. So David set up Uriah to be killed in battle. He moved him from his position to the front lines where he would be killed immediately. And if that's not enough, when David was running from Saul in Israel and and Judah, he raided towns, killing men, women, and children, and even stealing their animals and their possessions. That whole thou shalt not steal thing again. So, David's not looking so good. Let's see where he lines up. The charge of adultery, guilty. Murder, guilty. Pride, guilty. Lying, guilty. Stealing, guilty. Yet a man after God's own heart? Despite all these things, he was still called a man after God's own heart. So Saul's sins were different than David's, but no doubt David's were extreme. The most significant difference in in Saul's sins and David's sins is how they dealt with their sin. You see, Saul's impulse was the same as yours and mine, to run from God, to hide from God in our own sin. But David had the right response because he ran to God and asked for his help. You see, David grew from his mistakes. Nathan told David that part of God's judgment on him for the adultery and murder was that his son with Bathsheba was going to die. The baby gets very sick and David immediately began fasting and praying. He laid down on the ground, he's weeping, he's praying to God, and no one could get him to get up off the ground and eat or do anything. He laid there weeping and and praying and crying out to God. He wouldn't go anywhere, to the tabernacle, to bed. 
The elders of David's family try to get him to move, and nothing. He's not going anywhere. Well, after seven days, the baby dies. Only they're afraid to tell David. They go around town, as you would imagine, you know, they're talking, and David sees it, and he comes to the conclusion the baby died, didn't it? He asks, and yes, yes, the baby died. He then gets up off the floor. He changes his clothes. He washes himself. He goes to the the Lord's house to worship, and he comes home, and he asks for something to eat. David's servants are a little puzzled. They say, why are you doing this? I mean, when the baby was alive, you were fasting, and, and you were crying out. Now the baby's dead, you get up and you suddenly you eat food, you worship. Well, David says, I thought, who knows, maybe the Lord will be gracious to me and, and let the baby live. But why should I fast since the baby is dead? I can't bring him back to life. Someday I'll go to him, but he can't come back to me right now. He's gone. We learn something very significant here. Even in the aftermath of David's greatest failure, He ran to God instead of away from God. We see in Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5, these words. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sin and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We can't talk about failure and forgiveness without also talking about obedience. So here's the last point I want to make this morning about developing a heart after God. You will find God's best for your life when you are ready for whatever he asks you to do. When you're ready for whatever he asks you to do. You will find God's best for your life. In Acts 13.22, we see uh, God being quoted about what he said about David. He says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So, correlation here to your life and mine. If we want to be called people after God's own heart, we must do what God wants us to do. The big things, the small things, the things we would consider medium things, we must do what God wants us to do. Of all the things in David's life that marked him as a man after God's own heart, this is the most significant, that he would do what God wants him to do. And we see him do that. And David's life is a great example of this. David, of course, was the youngest brother. He was given the worst job, watching the sheep. One day, David is out in the field doing his job. One of his brothers comes running up in a huff and says, David, come on, you got to get home. There's this guy who wants to see you. It doesn't really matter, but come on, get home. Well, he's there with his father and the prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel does something very interesting. He anoints David as king, and there's a big feast. What happens after that is very peculiar. Everyone leaves the house, and David goes back to the field to be a shepherd, to continue watching the sheep. Where was he the next day? Watching the sheep. It would have been really easy to be bitter, no doubt to even be angry with God. I mean, you might think that the moment you're anointed as king, the limo chariot rolls up and takes you uh, into the palace, and you're seated in a higher position than watching the sheep in the fields. But I imagine that David knew there was something bigger going on than just watching sheep. 
You know, sometimes it's the little things in our life that God calls us to do that are the most difficult for us. But I'm reminded of what Jesus said, that if you're faithful with what's right before you, if you can be entrusted with the small things, you'll be given greater things. So a question for you this morning, church. How are you managing the mundane? How are you managing the mundane at the office, at home, all the things in your life that just create a to-do list? Because you know that's part of worship, right? You know that's part of being a person after God's own heart, right? How we manage the mundane in our life. Are you working for the glory of God? Are you ready for whatever? By the way, this whole idea of ready for whatever has created a common hashtag. You might have picked this up uh, with a beer commercial going on in a lot of the college football games. But I want you to know that this idea and this phrase of being ready for whatever goes far beyond and was invented way before the marketers of any product. Because from the very beginning of time, God has looked at his followers and said, Are you ready for anything I will call you to do? Are you ready for whatever? And church, here's something I know. God will call you with a ready for whatever moment. I remember my life, moments when God's dropped a ready for whatever bomb. It usually goes something like this. Hey, Jeff. Yes, God. Do you remember when you said you'd do anything? Yes, God. Um, I want you to relocate and move from Texas to Indiana. But God, they get snow, don't they? Yeah, they do. Just go. There have been other moments in my life and in yours, but the ready for whatever is significant. And God will drop that bomb on us. At some point, he's going to call you to do the impossible, something that only he can do, something that you cannot do and and easily pull off in your own strength. You know why? Because he loves to stretch us. He loves to shape us into his image Because what happens in that moment is we have a tendency to look up instead of in. Instead of at ourselves or in the mirror, we look at him when things get challenging. It is both exciting and terrifying all at the same time to be stretched and to be used by God in a ready for whatever moment. And one sure way to transform your relationship with God is to walk into a situation where he is your only hope where his provision is the only way out, where his words are the only words that you know. It's kind of like preaching a sermon on a weekend to 1,200 people when you find out two days ahead. God's provision is the only way for us to live, church. And we have to say, I'm ready for whatever. I'm going to do it. I'm all in. I'm going to go. And let God decide what that means and what that looks like after we say yes. Saying yes is the part that we get to do. And God will say where and when and who and how. Aren't you glad that you don't have to figure out all that stuff? Just say yes. Makes it a lot easier. You know, some people go through life and they say yes and then they try to figure it all out. As a believer, you have an opportunity to say yes to God and then let him point the direction and guide your path. Well, David knew what it was like to be ready for whatever God called him to do. Let's put ourselves in his sandals for a moment. He's guarding the sheep out in the field after he's appointed king. A lion comes along. It's God's prompt for him to protect the sheep, 
to slay that lion. Well, what happens next? A bear comes along. God is preparing David. David slays that bear. You see the foreshadowing. You see where the story is going if you know the scripture. Because not long after that, David is standing before who? Goliath, a 10-foot tall giant. And it is his responsibility with the power of God to slay that 10-foot tall giant. Now, do you think David may have had a hard time leaping from sheep in the field, making sure they don't fall into a ravine to slaying a 10-foot tall giant. It happened through faithfulness over a matter of steps as God provided. And you know, some of us in our church, I believe, are, are challenged with, with serving because we think, oh man, I can't do that. I can't do that responsibility or that thing. Take a step. Begin to stop looking at yourself in the mirror and see the needs of other people around you decide this week i'm going to do one thing for somebody else on an intentional way and let that be the small step that that catapults you into serving it's those small steps that god uses to shape us into what he wants i can tell you as a church our leadership at union chapel we try our best to adopt a ready for whatever for God attitude. We want to be ready for whatever God calls us to do. I mean, this whole attitude of ready for whatever is is the driving force behind kids at UC or children's ministry and 180 and all of our community initiatives where we go out and and bless people with the the love of God. And, And what is God calling us to do right now? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, a few months ago, we initiated and launched a three-year capital campaign called REACH. And Pastor Greg's vision for this is over the next 10 years, we are going to plant 10 churches all over the country and abroad because we want to see people reached with the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel. We want to see people come to know Jesus who don't know him and would never know him if we didn't send out church planters. We don't know exactly what this is going to look like, We don't know exactly how it's going to be pulled off. But what we know is as we've said yes to this, resources, finances, people, plans, and strategies, and locations on the map have all begun to reveal themselves. And we are excited about the stories that will be told in the next 10 years at this church. Because as we're planting churches, people are hearing the message and they're coming to know Jesus Christ in this coming season because of what you are doing as you give to the capital campaign called REACH. But listen, God's way more concerned with your heart than he is your money. A REACH capital campaign is not about raising funds. It's about trusting God with all that we have. And as we do that, God does great things, both in us and through us. Perhaps right now God is putting a neighbor or a coworker on your heart. God wants you to be instrumental in their life. In this next season, we're going to be talking about purpose and destiny and what God has for us as we surround our lives with everything that God has, God's purpose, his destiny. I mean, we'll be answering the question, why am I here? I would imagine you maybe know some people who you need to invite over this coming season to come and sit with you who don't know the answer to that question, why am I here? What is my purpose? 
does God know and care about me? Are you ready for whatever? As a part of this Living on Purpose six-week campaign, we'll be uniting everything you hear from this stage in six weeks of small groups. These will go on all over our city, tons of them. And you heard about this last week, and perhaps you thought about it, and then you thought about everything else as soon as you got up out of your seat. We ask you to do one of two things, to either join an existing group or start a small group with a few of your friends. And we're going to resource you with everything you need. You don't have to teach. You plug in a DVD and gather some friends. That's it. And it's not too late to do that if that's something that God is calling you to do. Here's what I know. You can't be a person after God's own heart if you won't be willing to do whatever he's calling you to do. I don't know what it is that he's calling you to do. Maybe you have influence. Maybe you have a platform at work or at Ball State. Maybe in your classrooms. God will use you if you'll be ready for whatever. Well, as I bring this message to a close, let me give you a warning. And here it is. Having a heart after God requires continual effort. It's not something we just do once and then we move on. You see, I think our hearts are a lot like a canoe in the middle of a lake. As you're paddling that canoe, you're going to move towards the destination where you want to go. But if you were to take your oars and throw them in the lake or put them in your canoe, what's going to happen? You're going to drift. The lake is going to pull you wherever it wants you to go away from your destination. And the same thing is true about our lives. We have to be focused on the destination that God wants us to be focused on. And if you want to become a person after God's own heart, focus on the destination and get to rowing. But don't stop paddling. Take a step and follow whatever God is leading you to do. You must make choices through your day that build into your connection with God. Otherwise, just like a canoe in the middle of a lake, you'll drift off. So how are you going to become a person after God's own heart? There's something different that you probably need to do. A step that you probably need to take today if you're serious about this. How are you going to train yourself to worship? Even in the middle of a challenging time. What does it mean for you to grow through your mistakes and put the past behind you? Clean slate and walk forward into the territory that God has for you. How will you be ready for whatever God has for you and whatever he asks you to do? Well, I don't know the answers to all of those questions for your life. What I do know is these are the questions that shape whether if we will be described as people after God's own heart or not. What we do with them is up to you. Will you stand up with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching us today to become a person after God's own heart. I pray that the words spoken this morning would have an effect on our lives in a meaningful way. Help us to become more like you today. Show us how to train ourselves to worship you even when it's challenging. And help each one of us grow through our mistakes and pursue you when we fail. Help each one of us to be ready for whatever you call us to do. And guide us all in our next step of becoming more like you today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, and it's your strength that we reach out to. Amen. Let's sing together.